Wine Monk Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Hello and welcome to an episode of the Wine Monk slash investor meeting <laughs> slash getting shit-faced with the investor and winemaker. One of the investors and the winemaker. True. This is, this is very true. I am one of the investors in Gary's uh, label, Greater Than Wines, which I think is awesome. I'm, I'm biased, but I think it's pretty awesome, too. Uh, I'm also biased, but I also think it's awesome. I don't know why I said that, but anyway. I make it legal. Goes the weasel. <laughs> ah, so we are drinking the red experiment number one from Greater Than Wines. Gary's first wine under that label. It's always weird having someone else pour me a glass of my wine. Oh, I could have been a an asshole and made you pour pour it for me. It was especially weird at the re- release party. Yeah, I could I'd see used. that you were weirded out by that so much. And I talked to the bartenders a couple of times about, like, this is something very new to me. Like, I'm at this place drinking wine I made that I have only ever poured for myself and for other people being poured to me by someone else. That's never happened before. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so tell me a little bit about this blend that I know a lot about and did a blog <laughs> review already. So it's uh, it's exactly what its name would suggest. It is me getting my hands on some grapes and going, well, I've never made wine in this way before. Let's put all my eggs in one basket and experiment. And if I have to dump it, I have to dump it. But if I can make something good out of it, I will become a better winemaker for it. That reminds me. Continue. But that's really the entire story of this wine. That's how... Well, make shit up. Well, I mean, the idea for the company came about with not being able to do a lot for making the world a better place, but I do know how to make wine. So let's find a way to make wine and use wine to make the world a better place. And this is the first iteration of that concept. And Cody is fumbling with some cigars over there. Because... I know this one. This one's good. Yes, it is. If that's what I think it is, that one's pretty good, too. I haven't actually smoked that one yet. Um... I'm getting out uh, Nakatamale from Saka. Westra de Saka, specifically. Uh, we'll share one, but I need to get one out for another gift. No worries. For the wedding. Uh, I should say the wedding reception I'm going to in uh, Portlandia, where the dream of the 90s is still alive. <laughs> where the dream of Gamay is still alive in Portland. But, you know, that's just my opino. 
<laughs> oh, I've already cut this one. Boom. That's the one we're smoking. That's on. the one we're smoking. I'll let you hold on to that. Uh, actually, if you want, you can... You have a torch? Uh, somewhere. Oh, I know where it is. It's going to be... in this bag. Because you brought your torch to work with you. I brought a cigar to work with me too on that because I thought it might be really, really slow today. Evidently it wasn't. It was not slow enough for me to smoke today. Oh darn. Ooh, this is a good torch. Much better than mine. And now we're both painfully silent. As we like sorting things. So the cigar that I suggested uh, to be paired with Gary's wine was the Muestra de Saca. Uh, for those of you who have read my blog review. Uh, which happens to also be the cigar that I have more of than any others. Because I got a, a deal in trade with a friend of mine who had a bunch of these. Gary has one that he lost, so I gave him another one. And now I have one that you found. And now I have one that I found, and we're smoking it now. <sighs> it's been a long time since I've had a cigar. This is pretty nice. Yeah. So the blend uh, is 83% Mavedra, 16% Cunois, and 1% Symphony. And I did that math once and put it on the back of the label so I would never have to remember it again. What was your opinion and quality of uh, Pillsbury versus Deep Sky? That's tough to say. Because Pillsbury I paid a premium for. And I got premium fruit. Deep Sky... Another winemaker and I got to glean the field and pick what was not going to be used. And we got it for free. We just had to pay to have it picked. That's not bad. And the fruit was in okay shape. You could tell why those clusters had been left by the initial crews that picked. But that being said, it was free and it worked out really well in the blend. Yeah, and I mean, it's a, it's kind of a classic, you know, Languedoc, Southern Room blend, sort of, minus the symphony. Mm -hmm. um, so what's the role of the symphony? Symphony was used to initiate the native yeast fermentation. And basically the way we did that was filled a five-gallon bucket with dry ice. Pulled, <laughs> by filled, I mean put a couple pounds of dry ice in the bottom. Squished up a bunch of symphony grapes, about 40 pounds worth, into that bucket, threw some dry ice on top, and sealed it up for a few days while the grapes were cold soaking. And then mixed it all together. And that was enough to get the native fermentation started. 
So, question one. Would you classify this, then, as a natural wine? No. Why? To me, natural wines are to the nth degree of non-interventionist. I would consider myself a non-interventionist winemaker. If the fruit's good enough, you really just need to get out of the way and let it do its thing. It will become a good wine all on its own, as long as you can be there to gently guide it. Natural wine, to me, takes away all the ability to guide anything, and you just kind of let things happen. Whereas I guided the native fermentation to start how I wanted it. I didn't just let it happen. It was a very controlled environment. Uh, the fermentation itself, I didn't just let it happen outside and, oh, if nature decides it's going to ferment hot, then it'll hot be hot. If it's going to be cold, it'll be cold. I used modern technology to control the temperature of the fermentation and keep it where I wanted it for the style of wine I was going for. What style would you say this qualifies as other than comfort food wine? Um, hang on a second. Got to make sure the cigar doesn't go out. I would say I tried to make this in the style of Cru Beaujolais. Yeah, I see that now that you said that. Because I've been trying to figure out what else this reminds me of. And it's like, oh yeah, Beaujolais. Durr. Slow clap. I had one of the best compliments I've ever gotten on my wine recently from my wife and she didn't know it when she said it we opened a bottle of a really nice crew Beaujolais that a friend gave us and I thought it was amazing I thought it was beautiful I'm like this is exactly what I want want to make for this style of wine and my wife tastes it and goes yeah it's okay I go what do you mean it tastes just like yours, and I can drink that any day. So what's so special about this? Aww. And she had no idea what she was saying. D did you tell her? Yes, absolutely okay, I told good. her. Says the single man, but, you know, coaches don't play. <laughs> <laughs> so each year you're doing kind of a different charity? Is well, that kind of the thought process? So far, that's how it's going to work out, because I've only got one year of vintages released, and I haven't entirely decided if it's all going to be to one place, or if I'm going to change every year, or if I'll, instead of doing one place the second year, I'll do two, or I don't know yet. Time will tell. I've learned enough since starting this company that really I can make all kinds of plans and it only takes a day for them to fall apart. So would you say that's the biggest lesson you've learned? Absolutely. That no one would have told you about? Gary Vaynerchuk put it best right around the time my life fell apart in right around the same time yours fell apart. 
and he said you sound like you've got everything under control for playing football but what happens when that football field becomes a hockey rink and I didn't have that under control Have you tasted the cigar with the wine yet? I have. Do you agree? It's nice, yeah. I mean, the pairing. So, I'm going to freely admit, a couple of years ago, I was smoking about a cigar a day, and I could easily pair things. It's been... One week since you looked at me. <laughs> Cocked your head to the side and said, I'm angry. <laughs> Since my, for lack of a better term, come to Jesus moment, I can count on one hand the number of cigars I've had. They just kind of lost their appeal to me. So I lost that ability to really pair them. But that being said, I can appreciate them when I have them still. What was the come to Jesus moment? You keep mentioning that, and you never really have mentioned that to me or talked to me about it. Well, I was living and working on a vineyard and had a gentleman's agreement with the owner to be able to use the fruit and use the property for greater than, and that all fell apart very quickly and very unexpectedly. And I don't want to say the person's name and I don't want to talk bad about them. Because at this point, we've both moved on. No hard feelings. Uh, but it put a lot of things in perspective. And it made me realize a handful of things that might not have learned any other way. So, all in all, at the end of the day, even though it sucked at the time, it's ended up being a good thing. And it's pretty great to not have to be responsible for more than one vineyard right now. And I'm even working my way out of being responsible for the one vineyard I am responsible for. Huh? So vineyard work has destroyed my body. Oh. And it's not really that fun anymore, and it just tears me apart. So I am shifting my focus away from being part vineyard, part seller to 100% seller. Okay. Because I just can't do it anymore with the vineyards. You can't even. I just can't even. <laughs> yeah, I... You know, most of my experience in the vineyard, well, other than helping to set up and pound in posts and, you know, roan and... Or whatever the fuck that block is called now. Dos Padres. And House Mountain... And just the harvest work I've done, I, I can easily see how that can just 
destroy Mm -hmm. a body easily. A really good way to put it into perspective how much it's taken its toll on me is three years ago I could prune about a thousand plants a day maybe a little less I could rock through it real fast now I'm lucky if I can do a hundred plants in a day before my wrist is done and I'm screaming with every cut that I make in just a couple of years so it's not really where my strong suit lies. That and working in a cellar, you have an air conditioner. And you can't be that in the middle of June. This is true. Where did I... Ah. Can I reach this without knocking the microphone over? Apparently. Indeed. Well done. I doubted you. I'm getting somewhat better. Keyword somewhat. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the next release? Fog if I know. The carbonics? Probably. Are you going to blend the two together, or do they taste better apart? Again, fuck if I know. They Last time I tested, one had gone through Mallow, the other had not. So until they're both through, I don't really want to say anything. Makes sense. And I've never really done carbonic before, but I know it's the type of thing you really want to get out quickly and don't want to keep around which is why I didn't do much of it that being said once wines go through mallow they enter this awkward teenage phase for a little while and they just get funky and weird and smell bad and taste bad and you're like oh my god I'm gonna have to dump this down the drain and if you're patient with it it'll come around do they do mallow with carbonic maceration usually? Do you know? I have no idea. Um, but because I don't know anything better, I am going to do it with mine because I don't want to sterile filter it. Sterile filtering is a bitch, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Why? Because hoses pop off of their clamp endings and dead leg you. And spray wine all over the building. Uh, yeah, that that was the sterile filtering. That's right. The time where I almost became a eunuch because of Barbera. In retrospect, it might have been better if I had been. And Jim and I laughed first. As I just laid on the ground screaming. Shouting, at, turn it off! At that point, you knew us well enough yeah. to know that is our reaction. If it's non-life-threatening, we will laugh first. And then through our tears, as we're choking out breath, ask, are you okay? I think so, but I just think I've become a eunuch now. 
But anyway, I, I'm curious about the, the multiple Triano. I am as well. I just pressed that on Sunday, so it's nowhere near ready to be judged yet. That actually turned out to be a very weird picture. <laughs> Sorry. I like weird pictures. No, it's like all blurry. Yeah, you had some weird flash synchronization going on there. Yeah, and now your face just looks like... Well, it kind of looks like that anyway. Well, yeah. I'm also trying to get some rare pictures where Gary is not flipping me off. Damn it. <laughs> that actually was kind of nice. Uh, because I just realized, oh, I need to get podcast pictures for this dur. But anyway. Do you think you'd work with Kunwaz again? Maybe. I'm kind of trying to move away from Rome varietals, although I really enjoy the Mubad and will likely make it again. And the thing is, you can also make an argument that Mouved is not exclusively a Rhone varietal. Valid uh, point. Spain. Uh, Monastrell. After all. And that has nothing to do with Rhone. Uh, in fact, it may well have originally come from there rather than the Rhone. Indeed. Hell, the motherfucker may have originally come from North Africa and brought by the Phoenicians. Mm -hmm. uh, although I think that's a better argument to say for Tempranillo because it ripens so much earlier than anything else. Because mm -hmm. uh, it was maybe originally adapted for an earlier uh, harvest, earlier growing season type thing. At least that would be my half-assed assumption because I know diddly fucking squat about botany other than that's a plant and it photosynthesizes. <laughs> and that makes a grape, which I make into wine and then drink. <laughs> I'll let you in on a little secret. A lot of botanists are in about the same boat. We know a lot about one thing and not a lot about anything else. Hmm. It's always struck me as, well, then again, I mean, it's kind of like any scientific field, I guess. I just realized how hysterical I must look in my half-disheveled Halloween costume holding a cigar with giant fake stuffed muscles.
It's like behind the scenes at Disney. There's a reason you never see those pictures. <laughs> How many childhoods would be ruined Most if they of them? saw Mickey Mouse with his head off smoking a cigarette in the concrete hallway? Probably most of them. I feel like I'm in basic instinct here. (laughs) You kind of look like you are. But what you also look like is half yoga pose. Right. So if you could fold your other leg up and sit in a chair in a yoga pose, that would be hysterical. (laughs) Can you? I wonder. Let's see what we can do here. And grab your glass. <laughs> and, and look at me. Okay, Maynard. <laughs> I had to find a way to do it somehow. This is true. Cigar pairing and wine pairing is, is a fun new thing I've kind of gotten into. and My mom is like, you're smoking a cigar every day. And I'm like, actually, I'm not. It's just that I don't take photos every day unless I'm doing something that I think is interesting worth taking a photo on. Mm-hmm. And usually it's a new cigar that I'm just trying. And it's like, okay, I want to remember my taste. And it's like when I did all of my wine varietal and so it's yeah. like, no, not every photo I take is of a cigar. It just seems like it right now. Because I about... can't drink wine in the morning before having to work every day. And the fun thing about cigars is because, well, yes, they're tobacco and there's nicotine in them. You're not inhaling and you're not taking in nearly as much. Yeah. So it's not going to get to an addictive point. It'll just like if you oh i need to stop smoking cigars for a week no big deal yeah you can just walk away from it after going from one or two a day to four or five a year and yeah no big deal whatever i will say that i've noticed that cigars are like wine in one aspect that often the most critically lauded Lauded? 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 Lauded is the right word, or pronunciation, I think. Um, are often the most disappointing. Mm-hmm. Like, the cigar that I got for my birthday this last year in Sonoida, the Davidoff Chef Edition, was the most bland cigar I have ever smoked, to the point where I stopped halfway through, because I'm like, I'm smoking cardboard. I really And I've cared for this cigar properly since I bought it, mm-hmm. so it's not that it's I really enjoyed the only Davidoff cigar I've ever had, which was a Churchill the Late Hour. I have one of those. The, that is good. I you will enjoy that one. Yeah, and that's what I've heard later is that uh, yeah, the I've heard also from other people it's like, Oh really, the chef's edition? That was your first oh, that was then really disappointing. <laughs> and yet that was a cigar that got like ninety five points. Hmm. And it's just like, so how much money changed hands to get that score? Right. Um, I am not at the point where I would consider buying a box of cigars anymore. 
that's one I might consider buying a box of. Yeah. And the Camacho barrel aged one that we were yeah. Earlier, that's really I love cool the too. the now I've tried also the American oak aged which was horrible. Yeah, I've heard Camacho. You either love them or you hate them, and even if you love most of their stuff, the next thing they release could be something you completely hate. Uh, and the I, only thing I've had from them has been that barrel age. I like the barrel age. I like their Ecuadorian wrap too. I actually got a, a sampler pack of four of those. I'll send one home with you cool. to drive uh, tomorrow. Um, Remind me before we close. I also really enjoy a lot of the Drew Estate cigars. Those are really good. The Smoking Monk series is fun. I haven't had any of So those are Drew Estates, and they're designed to pair with different beers. Nice. But the beautiful thing is because once you figure out the palate profile of like that sort of wine, Mm -hmm. or that beer, rather, you can easily extrapolate to wine. Mm. Um, Like, Hefeweizen is going to pair with aromatic, full-bodied whites, or Gabay. Mm. Uh, the imperial stout is obviously like okay like Ionico or Cab mm-hmm. uh, I haven't smoked the IPA one but I assume that would be a good one to smoke with Malvasia as well yeah. as an IPA I can see that oh, and also I'm very amused because it's the smoking monk <laughs> <laughs> right also a big fan of their uh, Kentucky Fire Cured label I had one of those and I I smoked it, and honestly, I could not decide whether I liked it or not. I and I the conclusion I came with is that it needs the right pairing. And I honestly, as much as I don't like Zin, that would go well with it. A good proper American oak aged Zin, like Mm -hmm. the old one that we had at Salvatore, would be amazing with the fire cured Merwad. Yeah, Fat Molly. So my favorite size of those are the little pinner cigars. I forget what they're called, but they're long and they're super narrow and they're amazing at keeping bugs off of your face. And when they're in that smaller fill size, you get a lot more of the wrapper flavor and a lot less of the filler flavor. And it's, it's great. I have, had a bunch of those when camping for no other reason than I just need a little bit of smoke to keep bugs off my face while I'm reading. And they work amazing at that. And they taste delicious. Granted, I'm also from the East Coast where there's a lot of tobacco. And the guy who shared a lab with me in grad school was working on tobacco and tobacco was king on the east coast and tasting something that was like all right this is unquestionably east coast tobacco east coast style was pretty cool That being said, I've also really enjoyed every other little cigar I've had recently. Oh. There's a lot of good... It's like wine. I mean, it's a never-ending mm-hmm. voyage of discovery, and you can get lost in that. And yep. I've heard the same thing about coffee from a couple of people lately, mm-hmm. actually, too. Uh-huh. 
Drew State's also got another fun one. It's not the LP9, it's the Undercrown. I've heard of that, I've not smoked it yet. It's really, really delicious, but it knocks me on my ass like nothing else I've ever had. I had a cigar from uh, Rocky Patel like that, that I just, it was just like... I took it, you know, on top of Mingus, and I was just going to sit and, mm-hmm. and relax, and then I fucking, halfway through it, it's like, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Put it out, and then I, I took a fucking nap. I had, this was just a flying pig, too. It was a short, like, two-and-a-half-inch cigar, and I got halfway through it, and I had to go to bed. It just kicked my ass. It was delicious, though. Yeah. So I'm hoping to find a cigar shop that has those in smaller sizes have you have you been to uh anthony's in tucson yes okay they're great i bought one of those barrel aged camachos there another really fun one so i bought one of those opened the tube when i got home and it was covered in mold oh so i called them and described what was going on. They're like, yeah, that's not right. Give us your address. We'll send you a replacement. It'll be in the mail, mail tomorrow morning. And two days later, it was at my door. That's fantastic. Yeah. And they didn't want me to ship the old one back. They didn't want me to return it at all. They're just, no, just dispose of it. Don't worry about it. And they've been really great to work with. Yeah. Part of me really wants to reach out to Drew Estate because I enjoy their cigars. Say, hey, I'm a winemaker. I know y'all do some aged tobaccos every now and then. Would you like to collaborate? And I provide a barrel, you provide the tobacco, and you just credit me on the label and give me a couple boxes of Dude, cigars. What you got? What do you have to lose? Nothing. Nothing. And except I'm... a barrel, which right now are in high demand. But uh, if you do, uh, let me know. Because I want to be at the, the release event. Oh, absolutely. Like, hey, this is how these wine flavors influence the tobacco. It'd be really cool to go to Nicaragua and see their facility, too. Yeah. You should follow... Um, fuck, I can't remember her, use, her username on Instagram. And I met her, uh, Tanner. She works at uh, formerly Ford on 5th, now Scallywag in next to the Salvatore Vineyard tasting room. Huh. And she knows her shit, and I want to collaborate with her on a wine and cigar pairing event with the Salvatore label. That'd be fun. Like, here's five wines, here's five cigars. Let's have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever smoked the Cro-Magnum by Roma Stay, by Roma Craft? It doesn't sound familiar. You should. Uh, really phenomenal. I've gotten them at Anthony's. Uh, the one at St. Philip's Plaza, or near St. Philip's Plaza. They've got like two locations. They've got a few locations. Oh. I don't find myself on the side of Tucson that the location I'm familiar with is at very often anymore. That vineyard is... They're still doing great, but they're 
doing great enough that they don't need me. Okay. What are they growing on that site? A little bit of everything. It's primarily a show vineyard, but... But they're making some decent fruit. They get a lot of Tempranillo. And then, like, one row each of Viognier and a couple other things. Hmm. Like some Sangio. I don't remember. What's the... one wine you really want to make? Sagrantino. Under this label. Sagrantino. I want to make a Sagrantino more than I want to breathe. Yeah, I would be down for that. The last like, time I had If it... I knew that I would make a Sagrantino, release it, and then be choked and killed the next day, I'd be okay with that. Hmm. Because I've gotten to make a Sagrantino. That is my artistic bucket list wine for my just my winemaking experience. It's, Why? I love big, big, big Italian wines. There's nothing bigger and bolder. And to be able to do it in a way that is balanced and approachable and wonderful from Bottling to 20 years out sounds like the ultimate challenge. And it sounds like it would be, the, for me, the ultimate payoff to be able to have produced the wine that I want to drink more than anything else. So I'm hoping that a couple of vineyards that I'm working with will take me seriously when I say I want this planted and plant it and let me sign contracts for it. Because I've told one grower that how even if you plant every inch of your 30 acres with Sagrantino, I will buy every grape. They go, you're going to be a 60-ton Sagrantino winery? Like, Yeah. That sounds awesome to me. I'll make a way to make it approachable and Well, easy. with that, you, you would have enough fruit to do multiple different styles. You could mm -hmm. do a carbonic. You could do a rosé. Yep. You could fucking do a, a sparkling. Yeah. Pet nat. You could do a MC, just whole cluster press, sparkling wine off of it, too. Method Champenois. Yeah. Like... You could, th when you got a volume like that, your range of experimentation is endless. Yeah. And you can still produce a solid backbone wine that will be similar year to year and that can be your bread and butter thing while you're experimenting on small lots. And if there's anything I like doing in the winery the most, it's experimenting on small lots. Do you think you're going to try to make a, a, a sparkler of some sort, like a pet nat or something next year? Probably not next year, but it's in the works eventually. It's very difficult to do, and timing on those is everything. So I need to do a little bit more just playing around with it on a, like, this is never going to get sold scale before I'm 
like a case worth yeah every year yeah it's like oh i'll make three bottles of this and see if they don't explode and if they turn out well then i'll make a little bit more next year and i'll do a little bit of a split difference experimentation try to make it better um what's the problem with being formally trained as a scientist you gotta have a control yeah yes and you can't just necessarily take anyone else's word for it. You got to see it yourself. Mm-hmm. Mostly, I just really want—I want a sparkling red pet nat dark called Sparkle Goth. I want someone to make it. <laughs> I, you know me. You know I want nothing more than to name a wine Sparkle Goth. Exactly. But it has to be the right wine. Exactly. No, your experience with Tanat this year might help future experience with Sagrantino, I would imagine, potentially. Because mm-hmm. it is, although, like Sagrantino, a dark, bold, tiny grape. Although all I was able to do with the Tanat this year was carbonic, because I only got a quarter ton of it. That was per ton the most expensive fruit I've ever paid for. But it was also the smallest lot I've ever worked with. And I only did it one way, and I don't know how I would do it if I were in the position to have more of it. Sparkle God. That being said, the Carbonic Tanat is interesting right now. How so? It's just different than other Tanats because the carbonic process is a very low tannin extraction process and the fun thing about carbonic is you get the juice that is liberated from the grapes by weight of what's sitting on top of it and that ferments faster than everything that is inside of the grapes still Hmm. so you'll pull a sample of the juice when you're opening the carbonic barrel and it'll be dry and then you'll press it and it'll come out at 14 bricks because there's so much sugar still locked up in those whole grapes that are fermenting very very slowly so and what happens in that case do you let it continue fermenting or yes yeah you absolutely will let it finish um, but for the tanat i decided to let it finish in barrel um on the skins so it got punched down twice a day after the 10 day carbonic and it got a lot of color and a little bit of tannin and it got really hot and had some good extraction Hmm. Um, but then it's got that really really light floral thing from the carbonic and it's it's just really interesting i almost feel like you should bottle that separately but so I also did a batch of Carbonic with the uh, Montepulciano I got this year. Because I ended up with about three times as much as I'd planned on. Due to a lucky set of circumstances. Basically, new vines produced more than they were expected to. Huh. I was told I could have around a half a ton, and I ended up with one and a quarter tons. So I did a quarter ton carbonic maceration on that as well. But instead of it just being whole grapes 
thrown into a barrel and sealed up. I also sonnied juice off of the crushed grapes that were going to go into the traditional fermenter, and I put that in there as well. Oh. So got a good bit more volume out of it, and it's a little bit lighter, a little bit more approachable, but it's still, like, I need to blend this and bottle it and get it out quick. So would it be Red Experiment number two and Red Experiment number three if you release them? Is that going to be a name? If I release them separately, that's what they would be. If they get blended, they'll just be two. Are you going to mostly call all your blends experiments on the labels? We're going to see how it works out. I feel on the things that I'm actually legitimately experimenting on, they'll probably have an experiment name. But that being said, I did a whole cluster, or not whole cluster, a skin ferment Chardonnay in 17. And... That I remember helping you punch down before my 48-hour bender. Yes. (laughs) That was... A very interesting experiment in that I did not enjoy how it turned out for a long time. And it came up with a nickname in the cellar that will probably stick to the label if it can get approved by the TTV. Have you sent it in? Not yet. I'm not going to say anything about it here yet because... That's the one you told me about, though, Mm -hmm. outside. Okay, yeah. Yeah. The... Yeah, I just don't want to shoehorn myself in anywhere and then be like, oh shit, sorry. Didn't get oh, approved. Yeah, that information you had before, that's that's out of date. Womp womp. Yep. And then your black Chardonnay that you did this year. What's What is a black Chardonnay? For those who don't know, which is everyone outside of this room. Yeah, I would say that if you're listening to this and at this moment you know what a black Chardonnay is, get in touch with me. I'll buy you a beer. (laughs) Um, And fuck if you Google it and then get in touch and say, oh, I knew it. I'll still buy you a beer because your determination is worth it. But it's basically when a white wine is exposed to oxygen, it turns brown. And if that happens in the bottle, it's a bad thing. Unless it's a 1976 Trocken Baronage And then it's delicious. But I'm not making 1976 Trocken Baronage Mostly because that would also involve a time machine and you traveling to Germany. Indeed. And I've already produced two Star Wars movies before I was born, so I think I'm good on time travel for now. (laughs) Uh, Yes, and Gary Kurtz has died recently. Indeed. And yet he is here drinking with me because time travel is wibbly-wobbly. Fun aside, I actually had a couple of people contact me and say, I saw the hashtag and the news headline and got legitimately sad. And then realized it was a different Gary Kurtz. <laughs> Aww. 
and that had that meant the world to me um and i forgot where we were going with this beforehand uh black chardonnay black chardonnay what it is so what a black chardonnay is is before fermentation after pressing you expose these grapes to as much oxygen as you can so i let them sit uncovered for two days whole cluster before i stomped on them and pressed them i didn't let them ferment on the skins but there was a little bit of skin contact and then as soon as i pressed it i ran about 50 pounds of oxygen through it's a lot how did you and do that with a big tank that i got from a welding supply shop and you just pumped it in a hose yeah. into the wine yeah yeah i connected it to a hose that i had sanitized in our cleaning solutions and i dropped the end into the wine and i opened the valve and pumped a lot of oxygen through it and it turned it from being this yellow green juice to being like the color and consistency of chocolate milk did you get pictures of that yes and then they're on the instagram account oh yeah i need to look at that again i think i remember that now yeah i posted pictures and video of it and the crazy thing is you're oxidizing all the chemicals or all the things in the juice that will oxidize eventually and you're getting it out of the way and those are heavy compounds and you're precipitating them out and then racking the wine off of it so you start off with juice that looks like chocolate milk and you think i just am gonna dump this wine on the floor it's there's no way this is gonna work and then you end up with a beautiful elegant chardonnay that's crystal clear are you gonna oak it yes mallow yes napa style not quite but I feel like I am the dissenting opinion in Arizona in that I enjoy oaky Chardonnays. If I'm going to drink a Chardonnay, it's probably going to be a little on the oaky side because stainless steel Chardonnays are the most god-awful boring wine I've ever tasted. I would rather drink almost anything else than a stainless steel Chardonnay. Anything else? Almost. Concord? Depends on the day. <laughs> White Zin. Like, I would rather drink anything other than a Page Springs stainless steel Chardonnay. Uber. Sam Pillsbury actually oaked his Chardonnay this in, I want to say 16 or 17. I can't remember the vintage I tasted recently. But it was a departure for him, and it was a very good departure for him. It was delicious. I um, like mild oak on my shard. I don't like heavy oak. Yeah, I'm not going for like a crazy, like this just tastes like bourbon and toast thing. I just want a subtle kiss. God, sounds like it would be an amazing underneath. breakfast. <laughs> bourbon toast? Yeah, like French toast, but breaded it with bourbon mm. in the cinnamon. Oh my god, that's going to be amazing. Sorry. I don't even know if such a thing exists. It might be a waste of... Well, then use bad bourbon. Well, then it won't taste good. Well, shut up, Cody. <laughs> you just gotta get yourself a handle of the old crow. 
one of these days. It's like 17 bucks a handle. It's good enough to sip on its own, but it's not good enough to not blend or cook with. It's my go-to whiskey. Mostly because it's so cheap and for the price it's really good. But yeah, I'm actually planning on poking both of the shards. Okay. With different oak inserts for each one mm. to highlight different things that they're currently lacking. Do you want to talk about the differences in, in oaks that you're going to be oaking? Yeah, so the 17 has really come a lot around on the nose and it's very floral and very interesting. But it's also very tart and palette's lacking a little bit so I'm going to put an oak that will accentuate fruit characters on the palette in that one which will kind of round it out a little bit and it won't be so much oaky but it'll be more balanced of a wine at the end of the day and then the black shard from 18 just tastes like it needs a hint of just a nice French oak barrel that's newer than what I've got it in so I'm going to use just a standard French oak insert for that one for not a lot of time and just give it that hint that'll round out the back end of it and I think it'll add a lot That's where winemaking becomes really fun because a lot of people think it's just, oh, I'm going to sit around in an air-conditioned room and drink all day, and that's not it. But there's a component of it where you're tasting things and saying, all right, this is good, but it's lacking a little bit, but this has something that's lacking. So what, if, what happens if I blend those two together? Well, that didn't work. What happens if I add an adjunct? to this one and play with it a little bit can I make it into from a good wine into a great wine and you do little experiments on it and then you have a handful of people over and you say alright taste these three things and tell me what you think so that you have an unbiased opinion and that's where things get fun like for instance, we had a Petit Verdot at Four Tails that we decided this is good, but it needs a little bit more. And the owner goes, what do you think about adding a little bit of Viognier? So we trialed it, and it worked. So then I did a formal bench trial on it. Blind tasted the owners through and all of us picked the same wine that we liked the most, and it was about 5% Viognier, and it, so we blended it up, and it's fantastic. Ooh. I want some.
On that note, we should probably close out. Finish our glasses and... Probably should. You look like you're about to fall asleep. Contemplate sleep. On that note, gang, have a good night. See y'all next time. Same Wine Monk channel, same Wine Monk time-ish, maybe. Possibly the same Wine Monk place. Thanks, Batman. Hasta luego. Or hostile Legos. <laughs>